Okay, everyone, are we on there? Is it good? Oh, well, thank you for hanging around. For some of, the, some of you who have returned, that's even better. Kyle Patterson, it's lovely to see you come back, especially for our panel. For the rest who have been here all day, a thank you, we think, uh, myself and fellow panellists, that actually this is one of, if not the most important, uh, panel of the day about the social and community aspects which we feel is uh, really at the heart of football and uh, it's something that Australia can really start to come to terms with. Uh, and the fact that this uh, wonderful conference is being staged once again and has had, you know, has been oversubscribed, I think is testament to the fact that, you know, more and more people are really starting to come to understand what the game can do here. Just before we get going, wonderful day guys, to uh, Martine, Anthony and everyone here, uh, to Frank, Fantastic initiative for putting it on. It's been a great success, even throughout the morning. I missed the first one. I understand it was outstanding, but uh, for me, I've taken so much out of the last couple. I really enjoyed the tourism one. Just on the way that we're going to run this one, um, you know, in my view, and I hope you might agree, that in the last couple, I thought that when people are able to contribute from the floor and we get a real range of opinions, uh, it actually, to me, is more valuable. And sitting here today is... Uh, eminent people from all sections of government, the community. We've got uh, some in the social space, some real uh, high flyers, if you like, in here, uh, and people with really relevant uh, views uh, and information to give. And I notice in the uh, rundown of what this day was about, it said something along the lines of, "It will help you if you attend. It will help you go away to better understand how you can achieve something in this space." The fact that you're here means you're interested. So let's try and see if we can give you uh, uh, a part to play here in the next hour and perhaps for, for all of us something to take away. Uh, the eminent people uh, to my left are right in line with uh, the very high standard being right throughout the day. As, as suggested, you've got all of their bios with you now, but starting from my far left is Peter Dank's big issue. Moya Dodd is here on my immediate left, Vice President, Asian Football Confederation and former Vice Captain of the Matildas. Uh, eminent former player and now uh, right at the forefront of Australia's uh, uh, political and administrative engagement directly with the AFC and, and therefore with Asia and Asma Halal of Football United uh, community coordinator for one of if not Australia's uh, foremost uh, social program along with the Big Issue Street Cycle program uh, which is recognised by FIFA under their Football for Hope a CSR program, so very, very important through UNSW. Guys, wonderful to have you. Uh, I just thought we might start by, we'll, we'll start with you, Peter, but we're talking about what's, how can we use the Asian Cup to strengthen social and community links with Asia? What needs to happen? Who takes responsibility? It's a very broad scope. <laughs> Let's just start with your perspective. Tell us all about your background, where you're working, what the Asian Cup means to you and what you're expecting your organisation and Australia to get out of the Asian Cup. Yeah. I, I suppose we'll give you a brief background if you like about the big issue to start with uh, as to why the big issue is involved in a, in a discussion like this. Big issue is a uh, social enterprise that works with uh, marginalised, disadvantaged uh, members of the community, uh, a lot of whom have dropped through, if you like, all of the cracks in terms of the support mechanisms that society provides. Uh, and a lot of the work, uh, the, bite, the catch line, if you like, of the big issue is helping people help themselves. So it's providing solutions 
activities, initiatives that can allow people to re-engage with society. Things that we all take for granted in, in many respects, uh, but giving those tools. The magazine, which is the one that the big issue is best known for, uh, is a, a, a tool where people buy the magazine from the big issue uh, and they resell that on the street, keeping the change, uh, the 50-50 of the, the sale price. And so for someone who's uh, disengaged or lost connection in society, that step to actually take that step to sell the magazine on the street corner is a huge step uh, in terms of their re-engagement. There's absolutely no bar of entry. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, if you roll or walk or crawl through the front door, then you are able to engage. So it's the lowest bar of employment, if you like, in Australia. Uh, the solution there works very well, and it worked very well, and it still does today. It's, it's the fastest growing magazine in Australia today. Uh, and uh, it competes against 6,500 magazines for its, its, its operation. Uh, but that solution tends to support, uh, in a general sense, not exclusively, but generally supports older males. Uh, and so the big issue looked at and said, what, what is it that we can do to support youth uh, and females, uh, women in a larger way, in a much more proactive way? And w that's the angle at which we came to football uh, in terms of can sport uh, work in this space and allow people to re-engage and reconnect with society. And it's been incredibly powerful. We started out with uh, a trial program in 2004, I think, I stand to be corrected, uh, and then really decided if we were to do go down this route and uh, run such a program to re-engage, because the research showed that it did work, um, over 85% of participants get two substantive life outcomes through the program, uh, that we needed to raise the profile and off the back of that, create a legacy. So we staged the Homeless World Cup uh, in Melbourne in 2008. Uh, and the first question we asked ourselves about the Homeless World Cup was, on Monday morning, after it's finished, what's left? That was the most important question of the whole thing. The event was not an event for an event's sake. It was an event for a legacy and an outcome. And the legacies include changing perceptions around the way people view people at the margins, um, so suddenly you had people cheering and clapping, um, a, a group of people who traditionally, sadly, a lot of people can't look eye to eye with uh, on a street corner um, and who have fallen through a lot of the cracks of society. So the power of sport to do that uh, and the legacy that was left behind was not only changed perceptions, but was an ongoing program operating in at, that at that point in time, 20 locations around Australia, week in, week out, where people could connect. So I suppose I, I raise that in, in the outset in terms of if we look at the Asian Cup, mm -hmm. uh, we'll, hopefully there can be that style of legacy, not just in Australia, but perhaps Australia can um, put its arm out to Asia uh, from some of the learnings that, that we've had here uh, to help leave legacies uh, on the ground in Asian countries in a similar style, in a similar way and engage uh, in, that, in that capacity. So practically during the Asian Cup you're now talking about staging something similar? The, the big issue is uh, fortunate thanks to some support from the New South Wales Government, uh, this nation New South Wales, but also through corporate partners uh, and um, media outlets, particularly SBS have been sensational in their support throughout all, all of this program right from the outset. 
we run a, an annual festival uh, in Darling Harbour, which is moving into the January period. Uh, and that festival allows participants in the programs week in, week, week out, something to aspire to, uh, so that, um, and they can celebrate their achievements. Uh, but also allows uh, a message from a, a public media perspective. So the aim is to build that and grow, uh, stage an Asian equivalent, uh, an Asian street football festival, uh, along the lines of, or mirror the Homeless World Cup. And I, I should stress, it's not just about homeless, it's about people on the margins, whether it be refugees uh, engaging in the, a new society, whether it be uh, unemployed um, and other people who are at some form of disadvantage. Um, as I say, there's no bar of entry, but the, we feel there's a real opportunity to have a really socially inclusive event um, staged for not the elite, but for society, that those uh, um, people I'm speaking, speaking of in society to engage with Australian participants, but also to bring participants from equivalent programs like the Big Issues and Football United's program from around Asia to participate. Uh, and. Uh, to show, if you like, in a, in a simplistic sense, so, true social inclusion uh, through sport. One of the, one of the um, interesting parts, for me anyway, is that you talk about the power of football and that you, you saw, you, you did your review and you said this is the game that's going to allow us to do this with this mm. particular demographic or broadest demographic. But that's to give them an opportunity in life and to make great, great changes in their life and so on. But isn't it also to then educate the Australian public about the plight of these people, to use the game as a vehicle through which we can then, we can be educated. And I guess just on that, I'd like to go to Asma and talk about the power of football and tell people about your experience to break down barriers and to educate the wider public as well. Now? Yep. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so, um, for those of you that don't know much about Football United, um, it's the leading organisation in Australia that uses football as a tool to engage uh, young people from across the board. It did start out initially to target refugees, um, but um, you know, gradually we realised marginalised people did not have access to the game. Um, and through that we provide regular football playing opportunities, uh, leadership opportunities, um, we have capacity building um, mecha mechanisms, so uh, it's all about working in the community, with schools, um, with clubs, and also our advocacy um, uh, element as well. So trying to promote um, to the government and to FFA and to other organisations that there are people that are falling through the cracks and don't necessarily get engaged in regular football. So how do we work with these um, people and what can we provide them? So with our um, uh, uh, young people that we work with, um, currently there are about 50% that are Asian. Um, and we work with them to try and inspire and um, develop them into young leaders of their own communities. Um, we have between 30 and 50 young people managing and coordinating their own programs in southwest West Sydney um, and also in South Australia and um, Canberra. Um, we also have other initiatives like the Digital Connections Project which uses um, film and photography to be able to share their stories not just um, amongst each other but um, across the globe um, and across Asia as well because we are a part um, of the Street Football World Network um, which 
is um, a very important network that engages organisations like ours, and I know the big issue is a part of that as well, um, to share, to gain resources and support. So um, there have been discussions with Street Football World um, and the AFC to develop a partnership to work together in Asia um, as well as Australia. So um, in terms of the Asia Cup specifically, uh, there is enormous work we can do together um, in the football world in Australia and in Asia. Um, and that is endless. Uh, I can go through heaps. <laughs> and you know, I'm hoping today we can exchange that with you all. Um, we also did release um, a recent report that shows the impact that football can have in these communities that are disengaged. Um, and that we will be seeing many of them coming from Asia and they can connect with and this will help us um, create strategies around how to work with them. Um, in terms of uh, where Football United fits with the Asia Cup, we can play a strong part in developing the legacy um, and that's through school programs, education programs and leadership. Um, I know, um, just quickly reading over the London Olympic um, inclusion strategy they had um, as part of their legacy a strong focus was youth because youth is their um, future generation and for us in Football United and in Australia the youth are the face of multiculturalism you know um, in some of our programs you have a condensed group of 60 kids and there's over 45 different nationalities just in that cohort you know so um, be it from an Asian background or European or Australian or whatnot, so it has a profound, you know, impact on um, on where it can go. So, um, yeah, in terms of developing that legacy, we can discuss that. So right, Moya, congratulations as a director of FFA on the acquisition of the Asian Cup. Now, from your perspective as VP uh, of uh, AFC of the Confederation and as a former player. We're just talking broadly about the power of football. You've seen it there firsthand, and I think Australia's coming to recognise it uh, increasingly. Can you tell us about it? You've asked me about my favourite subject, Bob. Thank you for that. <laughs> You've just heard two fantastic examples of how football can make a real difference to people's lives and, and generate outcomes that no government could buy in terms of social policy funding or I mean there's no there's no lecture you could go to that would that would assist the participants as much as the sorts of programs these guys have, have executed. If you look at the Homeless World Cup, um, they've done studies on the the sort of before and outcome uh, or before and after outcomes uh, of participants. And you know nearly all of them come after they've participated in something like this, have better prospects of work, they've found somewhere to live, um, they're eating better, they're sleeping better, and, and on almost every measure are doing better in life uh, as a result of having participated in this. And you couldn't buy that as a government. Uh, and that's a benefit to all of us in society, um, including our tax bill. So, uh, and Football United is a fantastic example of when refugees arrive in the country, it's about the only thing they recognise when they get here, is football. So it gives them something to cling on to, um, and built around those programs, uh, access to education, help with homework, uh, any number of things that helps people settle and get a foothold and become really productive, um, engaged and, and uh, fulfilled Australians uh, for, the, for the next generation and the one beyond. And I sort of ask myself, what is it about this game that, um, has made us all such addicts. 
uh, you know, why, why did you get addicted to football? Why, why are we all here in this room today? What, what else would have brought us together as a group? Um, and for me, it's, it's that uh, it's a very, very simple game. It's something that, you know, the laws of the game have been kept deliberately simple, so you can look at it and go, you know, why are there 57 ways to get out, you know, in cricket? You don't have to ask that question in football. <laughs> the most complicated thing is, is goal line technology, and um, yes, that's pretty new. Um, uh, so it's something you can escape into that's enormously simple. You can leave everything behind and you walk over that white line and there's two goals and, and one ball and two teams and for the next hour and a half that's as complicated as it gets. Uh, and that, that gives a huge amount of pleasure to both the participants and the, and the viewers. Uh, but it's also something where everyone who walks onto the, onto the part is, is levelised. And uh, I remember hearing once the great Ron Barassi um, uh, a poor gentleman who never found the right shaped ball, but anyway, <laughs> he, he, he said that there were three great things that divided people in life, and that was creed, colour and class, and, and sport levelised all of them. So, you know, that's the platform that you play on, it is a level playing field. Um, and, and finally, it's, it's a place where people are, are empowered. Um, I mean, if you can go out there, no, no matter what sort of victimhood you have in your past, you can go out there and be empowered to make a difference. You can boss the ball around, you can put something together with your, with your teammates and think, oh, you know, I made that happen. And off the park, you might, might have a lot of trouble making something happen. You might be living in a refugee camp where you're barely fed or where you're abused or, or, or a victim of violence. But for as long as you're on the field, uh, you're, in, you're in charge of your own destiny. And that's uh, something that I think for all social programs is, is almost the key that, that sort of unlocks why it's so powerful. Um, and, you know, that's why the game is loved by billions. And I think uh, in Australia, I mean, we've got an extraordinary history of, of, of where football's come from in, in Australia, right back to, um, I mean, some people would tell you that the, the convict influx and the sort of the Irish roots of that uh, meant that uh, we in the early days were more resistant to um, English games and more prone to take up sort of Gaelic kind of games. I mean, that's one theory. Um, and then having taken a foothold, there, there were, you know, as far back as last century, uh, initiatives that kept, um, uh, that denied access to the facilities, to the, to the fields, and um, there's some, some fascinating history around that. Of course, with World War One, and, and at that time, I, I, I learned the other day, we were part of the English FA, we were affiliated with the English FA, and the English FA, uh, um, uh, in, in, in a move that still takes my breath away, banned women's football in 1921 because it was becoming too popular um, huh. after that, uh, in, England, in England. But of course that flowed into, into our heritage and, and into huh. our law. So, you know, after the war, women of course went to the factories during the war, they played football just like all factory teams did. And post-war, post-World War One, they were having really vibrant leagues around, uh, around the north, uh, north uh, west of England particularly. And in 1920, the biggest crowd at a women's game was 53,000 at Goodison Park. Uh, the biggest men's game in the same year was 37,000 in their in their first division, and of course the year after the FA banned it. So, you know, I mean that that is uh, you know just a, a tale of really how how a game that um, uh, that the power of the game to bring people together and to to produce the unexpected and it always does I mean there's always the hope of something extraordinary happening on the field the team that comes back from 4-0 down to, to draw 4 all. we've seen a few of them lately um, you know the, the team that, that gets one shot at goal and scores and wins 1-0 this, this happens in football even a nil all can be absolutely uh, compelling match to watch so you know for all of that I think we, we have the most powerful 
we have the super glue uh, of, of the world in, mm -hmm. in the game of football. And, and you know, we're, we're not just sort of the fourth session on in, in a seminar at the end of the day. It's actually the glue that underpins everything we've talked about up until now. Uh, trade, investment, business. Uh, it, the community and social engagement is not something that is, is separate to that. You can't take that out of business and expect business to, to be the same. It's what makes business happen. It's what makes trade happen is that social and community engagement. Um, so I'm not sure if I answered your question, but... Uh, well, I don't know, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Les Murray has have a contract out for SBS, so they will take you away from him, you come away for us, that would be, be fantastic. I guess uh, the next question, though, is social and community. Now, when we think of social programs, we've got a lot to talk about just here, but before we do that, can we talk about the Australian community? We've just had the federal government you know, Asian Century White Paper come out. And I think most Australians broadly would admit that really we don't know anywhere near enough. Uh, let's be frank, there's a lot of ignorance. And football is really at the forefront of breaking down those barriers of understanding. Uh, we talked about with the Socceroos going in and now after seven years really having a deep understanding of all of those guys. Our youth national teams are playing regularly. The only major sport uh, that is in regular contact on field and off field with numerous countries across that region. Um, so how can we leverage that, to use that term, how can we use the Asian Cup to build understanding of Australia about who it is we're playing against on the field, which in essence reflects us. Yeah? Oh, I hope I can reflect back to the Homeless World Cup in a, in a similar um, example, but the, through the organisation of that event we aligned, uh, ran a program very actively with schools to invite schools, if you like, to adopt a country. Uh, and that didn't just mean, in a token sense, come along to a game and support them, it was about learn about their culture, um, run programs, connect with the, the, the local community, um, cultural groups and community groups around that, that, uh, that, that team or country uh, and then in some cases fundraise to bring those teams to the country to, to Australia for the Homeless World Cup through, through the school network so actually really tangibly engaged so I mean, to me that there's a real opportunity here with the, the, white, um, the Asian Century white paper the Asian Cup as a, uh, a lever if you like uh, and a macro level in terms of the, the main competition to uh, seed programs into schools and help that in an educational sense uh, with a bit of sex appeal if you like, or maybe that's the wrong word, but the hype around the, the sporting component to lever off that to deepen the engagement uh, of connection at a cultural and a, a national level. Uh, but then in, in this sort of sphere, to be able to do some of those aspects at a, at a community and cultural level. Yes, ma'am. I would say football as a whole um, breaks down a lot of barriers. So in terms of Australia being a multicultural society, just placing a ball in the middle of you know a suburb where there's 50 different nationalities, they will just come together regardless of where they're from, regardless of who they are, and they'll play, play the game. Um, I guess in Australia you've got... Um, Obviously, uh, there are a lot of people with Asian background, and it, it depends on how people see themselves, their own identity, um, and um, how they see others. I guess with um, 
In terms of Football United, we found that there's a high appreciation of those that come from different ethnic backgrounds. Um, and in terms of um, those who see themselves as Asian or might, might be from an Asian heritage but see themselves as Australian, I think um, there just needs to be that uh, cultural awareness um, and that talk going on about that. Um, in terms of going overseas or visiting countries or Asian nations um, with the Socceroos and the Matildas, um, uh, I think there's a bit of a disconnect between the grassroots and the local community and the elite professional teams. Um, I, I think more can be done in terms of trying to build that um, or bridge that gap, uh, be it through um, connecting with Football United, Street Football World networks where there are current programs happening there and um, encouraging some of the local youth to get involved in, in either local programs or Asian programs where they can have some kind of exchange, either cultural exchange or um, digital, or through digital or social media. Um, and I think just getting over the us versus them concept where um, we're holding this for the Asians, whereas I think we should see ourselves as Asians um, as well. So just probably coming to accept that um, we are our target group, if mm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the tournament reflects the tournament reflects this country. Yeah. But is the country is the country ready for that? In the sense that really football has to once again take the lead in education prior to the Asian Cup. Yeah. So that we start, and Geraldine do, I thought, um, very accurately talked about personalities and, and it's about stories and people are, are going to connect to stories. But it's, it must be for the game, surely, to, uh, to uh, mine those stories and to start to tell that, give that dialogue to the Australian public about, and connected, I don't know what you, what you think, Asma, but connected back to our communities here. For instance, someone mentioned Indonesia. We've got a Philippine representative here today, China and other countries. Mm. The, when they're here, well, we, are, we already have, you know, Australians are here, Australian Philippines, we, of, you know, of that cultural background, and tell their stories, and tell their community stories here that Australians don't know. How many, when, why, where, what's happened, what's the connection, uh, you know, how, what's their Australian experience. I think that's, for me, is a really big interest out of this tournament. Moya? I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, th I think our football history is very, uh, we're very well known for our European football uh, uh, migration and, you know, the, the, the clubs and many of the players have European mm. heritage. There's less players uh, with East Asian heritage who have been through our playing system and um, I mean my, my mum was an Australian born Chinese, uh, Alan Davidson's half Japanese, Jason his son, there's not a lot of other national team players you can point to who've got East Asian heritage and um, uh, or um, there's a few more West Asian uh, players coming through our ranks but I think um, it's a chance for us to reach into our own Australian community and find those communities and bring them into uh, the football family more clearly and in a more recognised way. Uh, it's a fantastic opportunity to do that because after all uh, these are the communities uh, or, the, or the nations with whom we trade and with, uh, who are nearest to us. So that's a huge opportunity for football uh, and I think a great opportunity for Australia to um, be seen not only as, as a country uh, full of people with Italian and Greek and Croatian heritage, but also people with heritage from all over the 46 nations of the AFC. 
just before I, I throw it to Sen and get your um, your perspective, just a quick anecdote from the 2005 uh, big game against Uruguay, which someone mentioned earlier today. Uh, I got an email a couple of days later, which I've never forgotten, it was very powerful, it was from a man uh, who was Indonesian and said, I'd been here 20 years in Australia and uh, I, I came with a love of football in my heart, he said, and I tried to, you know, watch these other sports and Australia, you know, and I love the country, I'm now uh, you know, an Australian citizen, and it's given me everything. My my children have got a wonderful education, and you know, I love the country, but I just couldn't connect through sport. And he said, when the Socceroos played last night, and I had my green and gold jersey on at home, and I was in tears. He said it was actually the first time I genuinely felt Australian. Now that's a very very powerful feeling that comes through sport, and we would say particularly football. So from your uh, perspective, Sen, from, as a Filipino-Australian, uh, what does the Asian Cup mean to you and to your community? Well, having been here for about 20 years, okay. I'm a Filipino, still the heart, but I'm also Australian. So um, I would welcome the opportunity for more uh, people from my background to be involved in the football. As a matter of fact, I think the Philippine team has a good chance, that's what I heard, I don't know who it is, <laughs> have a good chance of qualifying for the Asian Cup. So my, as, as a representative of my community, we I would like uh, to, to know in what way can we help out as well as a community residing in Australia. There's about 220 Filipinos uh, residing in Australia. Uh, it's such a big community that if we can just unite and, and come up with a strategy uh, to help out in any way we can, uh, as well as to invite, you know, invite uh, Filipinos to uh, watch the, the cop, as well as the opportunity to, um, to uh, leverage for investment opportunities as well. Um, I think we can do, we can do much in, in that regard. Great. I'm just wondering, just before we, we hand to, to the other gentleman, um, I heard earlier today talking about, in cricket in particular, where the Sri Lankan team would come here and they would stay with the Sri Lankan Australian community. And I was saying, as Socceroos, we travelled the world and everywhere we went, and it went in the diplomatic uh, panel just before, you know, you would always go and meet the uh, uh, Consul General or the Ambassador or whatever the case was, and all of the local Australians would come out and you'd have a, a barbecue. It'd be great for them. And it was very nice for us, you're in a, a foreign country playing. But we didn't connect into we didn't connect into the local community largely, and actually we didn't help them to connect into the local community. All we did was got together. So if, for instance, the, the Chinese team comes to play in Australia, then I think there's a danger in, in just giving them to the Chinese-Australian community. Well, that's wonderful. Don't we want to really tell the stories of Chinese-Australians? Don't we want to use that team to say to Australia, this is, this is our community, these are our people, and this is, what, this is who we are? You agree or not, sir? Yes, uh, actually, back in 1970, my friend is the president for soccer federation in Hong Kong. 
and they involve media newspapers. So we had a good relationship in Hong Kong and they organized all the soccer. So whenever they travel to Australia, they have Chinese group to support for the game. That's why we have a lot of Chinese, you know, to attend the, the game. But recently, I think we all changes now with China's coming up, with the Asia crisis of economy. So it is a very good idea. We can commit uh, our community, multicultural community, engage to their own. They, they should play an active part to engage on their ethnic group mm -hmm. to to get their uh, to get their community invite their friends to attend Australian game. What the I was deeply involved in Olympic game because my daughter is a marathon runner. <laughs> but we are too much heavily involved. We have too much volunteer engaged into the game. So that really put up uh, the community haven't got their own free time to get their own relationship, to look after their own friends because they engage of free volunteer group. That's why that's a failure in a way. So we can use the young volunteers mm -hmm. And with the elderly, they can engage to their own community or their own business group. Mm -hmm. So they can be host very successfully for Asia Cup. Wonderful. That's my advice. Okay. Uh, if, if the Asian Cup, and uh, we might just throw it open um, to the floor now, anyone wants to talk, can I just put this to you? Uh, if the Asian Cup, given the federal government's paper, is a window to our future, the Asian Cup, obviously, is it not as much a mirror to ourselves? Right. So, if that's the case, and we have all these communities in Australia, and, and the understanding of all of us has to come up, how can that be achieved through the Asian Cup? Skinning from Red Elephant Projects. Um, I'm noticing and I feel there's going to be some fantastic um, tactical and events that are happening around for marginalised people. Craig, um, from what I've read, uh, SPS did not get any of the games for the Asian Cup. It's going to be caught totally on Foxtel. And I think this is a disaster. I think it's going to alienate from the marginalised groups that we have uh, up, up on stage aren't going to be able to see the game. Our multicultural communities we've just referenced aren't going to be able to see the game. They're not going to go on Foxtel just for this. So we run a risk of this event coming and going and some of the absolute key target groups not even uh, being involved, not being able to watch a game. I know there's innovative things like live sites and pubs, but uh, these tournaments rely on you capturing a whole number of games to get the momentum uh, that are coming through. I read last year that SBS and Fox were going to be a brutal war um, to capture some of the Asian Cup games. I applaud the fact that SBS now have, uh, have a game on, on Friday nights, and I think uh, having worked with the A-League for seven years, that was a big hole in the strategy. But it looks to me like the Asian Cup has been sold out on pay-per-view, so only 25% of homes 
are going to be seared. And I think it's, it can anything be done uh, to address that because I think it leaves a huge hole in the strategy that could derail everything. <laughs> you asking me? Or are you asking John Bowman? Uh, or well, Carl Patterson, what's the official line? <laughs> No, it's look. I can talk, I can speak to it, but only to say that obviously for us we're extremely disappointed because I think you can tell we we don't just broadcast it. We actually believe in this stuff. Uh, we believe in it. So you know, we we would have just loved to be to have a major involvement. Um, all I can tell you is that a deal has, has currently been made, but there's some time now until the tournament. And I know at SBS, whilst I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but. But there's been discussions in the last couple of days just saying, look, those discussions are, are going to be ongoing. Um, because with all of our multilingual platforms and our commitment to you know, different communities, I mean, it's just extraordinary what... And if you believe in the, you know, Australia really using this tournament for all of us, and I'm, and I'm primary among them, uh, learning more about all of these different cultures that walk among us, then you know, it makes sense that obviously we've got to play a, a, a fairly significant role. Mm. Elsewhere, anyone else? Yep. Um, my name is Christina Kang from Australian Korean Soccer Association. Um, my kids, um, they are once a week, every Sunday, playing soccer, and husband as well. And then um, they, from, um, we have about 50,000 community in Sydney, and they play soccer, not only soccer, other sports as well, but mainly um, soccer. And also from South Korea, when they have a sports team, um, soccer uh, team, like a university student or company, they, when they need to train, they come to Sydney, and then we um, connect with them, and they play somewhere, and then we take them to dinner and tour, <coughs> as uh, the presentation said, and exactly with what they think or thought or how they are involved, but we do. Um, and also, um, um, when um, uh, the South Korea, South Korea, we have Sokai's number one popular game. And this is really, um, not only for that, but um, this probably um, um, Hyundai or LG, Kia, they will sponsor very, very major sponsor for Asian game, but there's a lot of middle class of the um, company who like to grow, who like to promote, who like to come here, not only this country, but they have big opportunity to come. And if you visit from Seoul, Tokyo, Hong Kong, they, 24 hours, 24 hours, life is on. That means a lot of trade, they trade, that means a lot of working people. And money's out there. The problem, the thing is, we have um, the early session, like said, we have hotels and accommodation, everything will be ready. But the idea is how we bring them to here, they're not gonna come automatically. The money, a lot of money is out there, but they're not gonna come here automatically. Um, uh, like um, a Gangnam style, they're very, <laughs> they're from South, uh, South Korea. And uh, one of the people in um, Martin Place, I think all of them working in their place, they all dances in the morning, straight away. But I think the dish Asian, Asian club for Soka, this is a very, very good opportunity to make them together um, for the, the multicultural, we say multicultural this country. But are they really, the folks that the gentleman they mentioned, 
initial difference just before two. If um, at home we have just normal TV, but as well as TV Korea, um, um, South Korea background, probably um, TV Malaysia, TV Filipino, because we, we, why we um, engage with the program is that our kids, they um, have to see our the background, the bilingual languages. If they see the program, like the little cartoons, they learn easily. They understand it easily. And uh, later on, when country, country to country or company to company, when they trade, they don't need an um, interpreter or translator. They don't want our power to the next generation. And uh, probably uh, um, some of them, they have Foxtel, but most of them not. So if we um, have, uh, this is a really disaster for um, when we come home, when switch on, we like to watch, we like to see it. So uh, this is a reality for how we, like um, um, migration, how we integrated in Australia well enough. And uh, the Asian game is the one like uh, make them, um, this is opportunity, close them together. And uh, we all love that for um, that SOCA. And this is, uh, when I, I heard for 2015 SOCA, not only me, we was really, really glad. And uh, the first things I was thinking about, oh, SKS, they gonna go to the TV <laughs> run or Because last London game, we really can't uh, watch what we want. Always, not we only like uh, um, swimming or gymnastics, not only that, we want to watch something else. But, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay, can, can we just go to uh, next one? I just want to get a perspective from Cole Patterson, head of uh, just about everything now at FFA, <laughs> uh, including communications. So, KP, you can speak to that. Well, I'm just begging indulgence of the two directors, Jack and Moy, just to provide yes. explanation because there was no decision to exclude SBS at all. No, of course. And in terms of the word disastrous, let's wait and see what happens in the fullness of time. However, one of the important things for the game is everyone understand that broadcast rights now underpin football globally. The current deal with Simon will take uh, the share of broadcast revenue from the, in the total FFA budget from about 24% up to almost 42%. That means there's more money for us to build the game. Um, as much as we'd love to have um, SPS involved, it ultimately, I'm being trans transparent about this, again, we're the guardians of the game, we don't own the game, but on behalf of the game as guardians, decisions were made and ratified to maximise the broadcast rights to have the ability, the capital to invest in the game. That's where we are today, eight years into FFA's existence. Um, I can't make any policy on the run today. Um, I'm sure Jack and, and Moira aren't either, but I think you're right. There is a model that SPS have covering the soccer games on a one-hour delay. Fox, the Tel and Fox Sports are very comfortable with that. Maybe in there lies a model that can keep both the free-to-wear and subscription audiences happy, but again, I can't make that promise today, I just want to make it clear, there was no attempt, not the SPS involved, this became a commercial discussion of, as, as if they being guardians on behalf of the many mouths we need to feed to keep this game growing. I'll defer to Moira and Jack if I've missed any, anything there. Uh, well, this is an AFC tournament and the AFC has the rights and the AFC um, partners are negotiating with others to uh, distribute those rights. So it's actually not to, it doesn't, not, it doesn't begin or end with the FFA in this case. Uh, but, you know, as I said, it's, it's uh, still some way to go. So we'll leave it at that. Can I just, I'll come to you in one moment. Can, can I just get you, please, KP, to speak on what we were talking about before about, uh, you know, how we can use the Asian Cup 
because I know you're passionate about what football can do here to educate and to bring these cultures uh, back home. What's your view? Look, everyone knows that, that um, the, the game is multicultural. It's almost like we are, I like to use the, the term that football is the face of Australia. You don't know what Australia is. Look at a football field, look at a football crowd. We, we represent all that diversity. And clearly the, the buzzword, if you like, everyone's talking about it in the space is fan engagement, whether it's multicultural fan engagement or it doesn't matter what it is, it's about the engagement. And what does that engagement mean? It means about belonging. And this is where the interesting part of the discussion is with, with digital, because how do you engage in 2012 with people? Well, that the, the most effective and richest and quickest way to do it in terms of the, the relationship is, is through digital. So it's a massive part of what I'm trying to do on behalf of, of FFA with digital engagement, because we're a very young sport. I mean, primary schools are where we, we dominate, and like a lot of things in life, adolescents move on. But we, our core audience for Alien, for example, is, is really 16 to 25 year olds, male and female, who are identifying with the sport they've played and come up with. And I know, I'll give you an anecdote, which I'm sure I can share with, with, uh, with the room. The Newcastle Jets are part of a conglomerate, which includes the Newcastle Knights Rugby League team. The average Newcastle Knights member is a 45 year old male. The average Newcastle Jets member is typically a, a, a dad in his 30s with a family membership so the kids come on every day. So we've actually got a totally, we've got a lock on that young audience. And so digital's made for us, we've got to be there. Um, I, I understand the whole thing with SPS, I know I'm a former SPS, uh, uh, you know, what I call warrior. What's the word for us? Yeah, probably. Myself. Um, I understand the power of television and that's why we're so delighted to have SPS back in. And we'll be delighted if we can find a way to get SPS back involved with the Asian Cup. But certainly for me, the thing today, and it sounds like a cliche because we say it over and over, but it's the essential truth. We have, we say we have 1.7 million participants. If we can't find out how to reach them, how to motivate them, how to listen to them, then we're really, we're just the, we're just the tip of the pyramid. So that's, that's the buzzword. That's certainly something that, that runs through everything we try and do. Thank you. So I think this is a really important point and you know I, we don't want this to descend into a, a fox bashing exercise um, but uh, section 115 of the Broadcasting Services Act says that the minister can list events to consider to be of national importance and cultural significance. So what we are really considering today is, after all we've heard, is the Asian Cup 2015 an event of national importance and cultural significance? If it is not, fine. Keep it on subscription television. If it is, then there has to be pressure to be exerted. Indeed, the minister has power in this area, as we all know. So uh, to uh, to insist, or one would hope, twist arms, but to do something, because I think it would be, I'm sorry, disaster time if this was uh, left entirely on subscription television in 2015. Okay. Well, look, it's certainly it's an interesting part of the discussion, and it's an important one. 
Uh, and it's the one, it's one where I'm sure, as, as we get close to the tournament, and one of the gentlemen, I think it was Jeff Dixon, said this morning, look, I don't think Australia's really woke up, woken up yet to just how big this is, this tournament. Uh, and I think as we get closer, that's probably a discussion that more and more Australians are going to want to engage in. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if something's found. But I agree with you, we don't want to turn this into the bashing of anyone. And indeed, for the game, we can all agree, you know, Fox have done a wonderful job. Anthony? Um, Asper, a, a point and a, and a question for the panel. Uh, Asper had a great kind of idea, a great general idea that we talked about. You know, we spent a lot of, a lot of the day talking about <coughs> me, um, what Australian teams should do when they go to Asian countries. Uh, but maybe what we should also focus on is what they do before they leave. And maybe the thing they should be doing, if they can, in a way that's not particularly onerous on them, and, and you don't want to put too many burdens on, on the teams, they've got to focus on their games, but it needs to engage with the, with the communities from the country uh, that they're going to visit in Australia before they leave. And if that helps to build some of those connections, and it can be done in a way, again, that doesn't impose too many burdens on, on uh, you know, the teams that are playing, then it's something that could be extremely worthwhile. Question for the panelists, and you know, looking at your all your experience in areas, you know, as I keep saying, the focus today is a very practical one. We've got two years. Um, we want to build, in effect, an architecture for people-to-people um, -people engagement using not just the Asian Cup and the lead-up to the Asian Cup, but using it as a platform for engagement beyond that. What needs to happen, very specifically, between now and then? To, to build that architecture, you know, using your experience with Big Issue, Football United, to kind of, you know, whether it's you know building social media platforms, whether it's you know some form of consultative body, you know, that's what we really need to get out of today. Is what do we, what are the steps that have to happen from from now to 2015 to make this a reality? Um, I would say uh, there are several things, obviously, as you mentioned, that need to happen. Um, First and foremost, I think um, some type of inclusion, um, community engagement strategy would need to happen and for the person or for the people to have that rolled out or um, implemented are those that are working on the ground and already paving the way. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. Um, if things are already working and are engaging Asian communities or non-Asian communities and building and promoting social harmony, um, leading up to and post Asian Asia Cup, um, I think leverage off that, you know. Um, Football United, and I don't mean to toot our own horn, but we do that really well in terms of um, capacity building of young people, um, consult the communities. Um, although we don't 24-7 work with ethnic communities every single day, but we have young people, we have community groups that are involved with them every single day. Um, and work with these local communities from Iraq to Burma to the Karen community to the Philippines. So um, working with those that are already on the ground um, to facilitate and to develop these strategies um, across the board, including, um, so not just ethnic communities, but schools. So developing some kind of um, curriculum uh, that could be based around football in Asia. So I know, um, Craig, you developed something around Harmony Day which could be implemented within schools and I think some kind of resource like that that are accessible to schools, um, clubs, uh, community organisations that they can deliver um, step by step, you know, from what equipment needs to be used to deliver this session, you know, around football in Asia to educate 
and it can be delivered by youth leaders already engaged in communities um, and it's not just the marginalised communities, it's the broader Australian community. Um, and uh, then with the social media, um, it needs to be centralised, it needs to be in, some, like, in one certain avenue but um, having different branches coming out of it. So you've obviously got your Facebooks, your Twitters, but having, um, again, the youth community people involved and being able to spread that out to their own ne ethnic networks and their own school networks as well. Um, and on top of that, you've got your community festivals and gala days and school events that across leading up can definitely um, promote the Asia Cup and afterwards. Um, I think there, there are so many ways that it can happen. Um, and yeah, I think especially as well, there's the, um, with Street Football World and um, the youth leadership program that we've got happening, creating some kind of uh, exchange between local youth in Australia um, with Asian um, communities as well. So we already have links in Cambodia, in um, Singapore, Indonesia, where similar Football for Hope organisations like ours um, empowering young leaders. Um, so imagine, you know, a young, a young Iraqi boy here or a young Thai a guy from Thailand um, showcases his journey <coughs> once he arrived to Australia, you know, going through school, learning English, meeting new friends through Football United, sends that off to his friend in um, Cambodia or it's a female who knows and she does the same thing she shares her experience in Cambodia and there's this some and even a, a Skype exchange of some kind so there's so many things that can be um, used in lead up to it so those are my ideas yeah look, look, great. I think there's one there are existing organizations in place like the bigger shoes operations and, and football United uh, in terms of increasing the, the reach and scale if you like of those organizations um, and the, the relationship that FFA has uh, with both groups is is really healthy in that re recognising uh, one is a football organisation for the development of football and the others are organisations that um, are for social development that use football if you like to be simplistic about it um, and that's that, it's really quite a, a clear relationship which is strong so to, to increase the scale and reach of those opportunities in, in some specifics that uh, as most talked about uh, and there perhaps might be others um, the other thing I think that's, um, we feel that uh, events are not events in this, in this context, are not events for events sake, they're events in terms of uh, inspiration, aspiration, uh, and if you like, celebration um, of achievements uh, and engagement tools. Uh, it also provides a, a great platform to communicate messages. The stories that come out of the people who are involved, they're not there because of their football, <coughs> They're there for a whole range of reasons and there's a whole lot of outcomes that come from that. The other piece that, uh, probably reflecting back to, uh, I think it was Sandra Chipchase talked about, um, in terms of the Asian century, if you like, um, Australia, I mean, there is a lot of focus about, you know, what can we get out of it? We need to, to give uh, back. And I think in this space, we've got a lot that can be given. Uh, there are two-thirds of the world's population in Asia, Asia. Unfortunately, there's also two-thirds two of the world's disadvantaged. Um, and it's a sad fact, uh, but it's true. Sport for development, the use of sport and development is uh, accepted or more, more mature uh, in Europe and North America. 
and it's recognised in a financial sense that every dollar spent produces about a four or five dollar saving uh, to the communities through savings in welfare services, health services, um, hospitals, um, sadly prisons uh, and other areas. And so there's an economic case there, but there's also clearly very strong social outcomes that produce that economic benefit. So we can, as a country, AUSAID, Australia, is very active in providing support into Asian communities. We can um, help Asia catch up and use sport, if you like, uh, and work cooperatively with communities, different ways in different communities dependent upon the needs, uh, but to uh, help grow these style of programs in Asian countries where they are less mature than they are in other parts of the world uh, and less accepted, if you like, in terms of a, a valuable tool um, to produce social benefits. Uh, so if there's a last year at the, the festival we ran in Sydney, we had a, a, a workshop where we brought in, uh, with support of the AFC uh, and through the big issues um, contribution to that, brought in uh, representatives from, I think it was 13 programs from 11 different countries that run these style programs. Uh, we're footballing and Ireland ourselves from Australia, uh, and representatives from the AFC, and uh, a few people here who are involved in that. And that was about sharing ideas, um, developing networks into those communities, uh, and the opportunity to use the event as a platform to further develop that uh, is significant. Right. Uh, I think that's absolutely right and the, the, it's worth bearing in mind some of the AFC's programs. We talk about exporting our players into competitions of other countries, we talk about sending our teams overseas to play in AFC competitions, um, but I think there are also opportunities to export, if you like, our, um, our service deliverers in the community uh, and CSR sectors uh, because the AFC does have programs where they will fund uh, activities, but they need consultants, if you like, uh, to deliver them. And you know, if, if somebody was putting together a community program and they had ASMA come and visit them for a week and help set it up and, and maybe mentor it in an ongoing fashion, well, that would be a fantastic thing for Australia and for the recipients as well. Now, these things are and, and should be happening anyway, but having an Asian Cup gives us a lot more reasons to engage, to identify opportunities, uh, to put to put people together who make good matches and can help some of these things happen around the region. It's great for us and it's great for them. Great discussion. Should we just take a couple more questions before we close up? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm here to represent the Philippine Ministerial Consultative Committee and I am expected to uh, give a report on what happened today to this committee. <laughs> <laughs> why do Right <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can answer that question very simply in the sense that um, what we will we'll try to do, what I will try to do, um, is to collect the ideas that have come out of today, much as we did in 2005, uh, in the form of a paper. And with a very kind of practical focus, we will try and lay out, well, here are a whole set of ideas. Um, uh, that the things that, that can be done need to be done between now and 2015 and beyond. So that's uh, my job over the next um, few months, and, and that, that, that paper will be kind of widely available. Great. Job? Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
sure if this helps with your report, but I, I think we um, we need to see that the uh, 2015 Asian Cup is a part of football in Australia, an absolute highlight that we need to use for the benefit of um, social development programs that being a little bit selfish, for the benefit of football as well, and the benefit of football in Australia. So we need to get engagement of the uh, Filipino-Australian community, the Chinese-Australian community, the Korean-Australian community, and, and the Middle East-Australian community in the Asian Cup as part of a continuum. We need to be finding a way, and I don't know the way, and the organising committee are working on it, I know, but finding a way to use the Asian Cup to engage those communities in football at the Asian Cup, but before the Asian Cup and after the Asian Cup as well. That's, I don't know the answer to how to do that, but it's, it's ongoing and intense engagement in football of the Asian Australian communities that we need to get out of. It's not just people coming to watch that one event. I think Chris Fong put it well earlier in the day, uh, in I think the first or second session, where he talked about having a clearinghouse, a portal that effectively directs traffic and interest groups uh, and, and joins the dots between, uh, between different interest groups. And I think if, if that's something that comes out of today, it would be hugely beneficial. Going to, I'm Brad from Football United, I work with Asthma as well, just um, resourcing that, I guess we call it pounding the pavement, literally to go around to all those different groups, schools, principals, migrant resource centres, the various um, ethnic groups and, and their associations and those sort of things, just seriously labour intensive sort of stuff, <coughs> the most complex and hardest and, um, you know, fraught with sort of all sorts of rises and falls and all sorts of things. So. Um, that's the one tip I would make is resource that, resource it effectively, work with the groups that are already doing it um, to understand that, you know, it's all different in any, any given community that you tend to work walk into. So, um, yeah, that, that's my first advice. I think the key to it in many ways is letting the communities loose to do it themselves and giving them the keys. And, you know, social media and technology is a fantastic way to enable that. Um, I mean, I, I think we have to be very forward-looking in this, and uh, the way that, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like a sort of OTC ad from the 1980s, you know, where they try to get different uh, ethnic communities within Australia to phone home. I mean, it's, it's completely different ways now to, to, con to, to get in touch with, with the different uh, communities in, in Australia, with, with, uh, uh, with routes elsewhere. Um, and, you know, the, the, the future looks very different to the past. If you were to look at and then see what our football community would look like in five or ten or twenty years' time um, in Australia and, in, and all over Asia, it, it's going to be extraordinarily different to the past. We're having an Arab Spring. Um, the whole hijab debate that uh, Asma and I were part of to lift the hijab ban that FIFA had in place, um, that had a social media component to it. And uh, within th there was a Facebook page, there were 60,000 friends of it within not long, and that became a, a really important factor in the pressure that was raised to lift the ban on uh, women wearing the hijab while they played football. And you know that of itself is another another something that opens football to 650 million Muslim women in the world, and, and more than half of those in in, in Asia. So you know the the future makeup of our of, of our viewers, our players. 
uh, our administrators is going to be vastly different to the past and I think the way we communicate with them and the way that we uh, have them engage with each other, we don't have to do it ourselves. I mean the great beauty of social media is that people actually talk to each other without you uh, uh, mediating or starting or finishing that conversation. Um, I mean and, and in a media sense you know we have we have journalists who pump out stuff well that's part of it but people actually pump stuff to each other constantly at whether you whether you uh, uh, trigger it or not and uh, I think that's one enormous difference if we turn the clock forward that is something that is a, an absolute game changer in how we um, how people engage with football and speaking to Michael Brown some time ago I think the difference is in, in terms of this uh, competition is that they're now going to the communities, for instance with Sen here with Filipino Australian community and saying how can we help you be involved? Mm. What would you like out of this tournament? How we, how are we going to use this tournament to help your community to engage, to become better integrated, to become more connected? And that to me is a fantastic starting point and that those discussions have, have begun and are ongoing. That's great. Are you going to say St Peter before we wrap up? Oh, I'm, I wouldn't profess to be a social media expert in any, any stretch, but <coughs> what I do know from, is that uh, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion today. And it seems to me in the Asian context, all the references is constantly Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, yes. But they're not necessarily the platforms Asians engage with. Um, I'm not saying they don't, uh, but they have some, they're illegal in some Asian countries we're talking about, and the scale of the others that do operate in some of these countries uh, massive. Um, so, you know, not to just. Sure. Our world of social media is here. Mm -hmm. It is a lot broader than what we even talk of in this context. And isn't that where the discussion with the communities can mm -hmm. be so valuable? Yeah. Because exactly. now the dialogue is open. So, okay, what, what would you like? Yeah. How, how would you like to engage in that way? So, let's take, should we take one, one more, two more questions and then we'll. we'll wrap. Hi, uh, my name is Paul Kim. This morning I met a beautiful lady. And I introduced myself. I had served uh, in the uh, organizing committee in 1986, Asian Games. In 1988, I served on the organizing committee and also Paralympic Games. And then Sid asked me, hey Paul, you can give us a comments. So I have a college to meet her encouragement. <laughs> so I'm from about touch the uh, total picture. This today conference topic is, uh, is a uh, engaging Asia. I'm talking not only the uh, 2015 Asian conference. Uh, this is very valuable time because we share our ideas and values. I myself I'm thinking about we must know and predict the paradigm change and meta trends. As we know well, Elvin Poplar, he wrote Future Shock, 1970. Third, the third way he wrote in 1980, and he wrote Power Shift in 1990. As we know well, uh, 19th century is the Britain century and then uh, USA century. Now we call, we say, Asia century. Uh, power shift, the last uh, parts, 
he mentioned about new global order appear in the world. And also he mentioned confusion zone, economic common markets for means in Asia. So uh, we must learn what is the spirit, fundamental basic philosophy of Confucian Buddhism and Asia. We different countries have different color and different uh, uh, values and different customs and different philosophy. We must learn, study different Asian countries. So I'm talking about the creative management, sports management, sports opportunity, and sport diplomacy, sports business, and sports tourism. And also furthermore, sports reconciliation, sports army. For example, but my idea, I propose 1915 Asian Games is on the way go to the uh, Australian FIFA World Cup game with our big dream. From the 2015 Asian Games in Australia, we believe sports football game is the greatest comfort level giving uh, the, uh, uh, comfort to the suffering people in Asia. For example, uh, we developed a program blind disabled soccer uh, soccer group and we international renowned uh, football game soccer group together. So the blind disabled uh, uh, football soccer group we play with the, uh, the football ball inside the bell. And the uh, famous old soccer uh, they cover their eyes. And also, they, uh, I'm thinking about propose a uh, conciliation, reconciliation army between the uh, conflict of uh, the different religions. So we organize the different uh, religion leaders to play football game. And also, we uh, yeah, idea we gather football to donate to bear food poor children, students in Asian country. And also, in this moment, okay, um, but to celebrate the big celebration events, uh, separate construction. Open house in Sydney, Eiffel Tower in Paris, <coughs> and creating uh, statues in Rio. But I recommend. So in, in we 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 are calling about Tea Australia in Kolonika, sixty thousand years dream country. So uh, maybe in this moment we can thinking about human beings history museum in Australia like the exclusive in Aztec Museum, okay. like in Cairo Egypt uh, Museum. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>
Okay, guys, before I'll hand back to Anthony now, thank you to my fellow panellists. Wonderful job, as expected and delivered. To all of you, thanks for your attention and your contribution. Uh, Anthony, it's been a fabulous day. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Over to you. Look, uh, just I want to say a few words of thanks. Uh, these conferences don't come together um, quickly, and they certainly don't come together without a lot of work by a lot of people. Um, today's conference was a joint effort by the Lowe Institute and um, the AFC Asian Cup uh, LOC. I'd like, I'd like to thank um, here at the Lowe Institute, um, Kate Weston, our amazing uh, events manager, who again has pulled off another another a flawless event. Don't worry about the AV stuff, Kate. Uh, she, got, she even startled the minister this morning, which was um, something worth seeing. Uh, Stephanie Dunstan, our, um, uh, our strategic commerce manager, and our interns here, who we, who we pay nothing but make to work very, very hard, Leah, Anita, Ailey, and Felix. Uh, I'd also love to thank uh, the team at uh, the LOC, uh, headed by Michael Brown, uh, Alison Hill, uh, Mark Falvo, uh, and Mark Bryant. Um, we held many, many meetings over many, many months. Uh, we got to know each other very, very well, probably too well. Um, but it's been a great pleasure to work with you for today's conference, and I, I, I certainly hope you'd agree that the, the, the result in the end has been, has been worth it. And, and lastly, thank you to all, to all of you that have uh, participated so uh, energetically today, have stayed to the end, uh, and now my job is to try and turn some of those ideas uh, into something, uh, into, into a kind of coherent paper um, <laughs> while you're enjoying your Christmas lunches and uh, the <laughs> um, But uh, thanks again, and we hope to see you again soon at the Lowell Institute. Thank you. Well